and they need to know that it, it's safe. The, the church can be a safe place to come forward and, and, sh- and share what your experience is so that, we, so that you can get the help that you need. And, and, and we, want, we in the church, we want to be a part of that healing process. Uh, the voices of those who, um, who cry out, Lord, Lord, look at what I've done in your name. And he will say uh, to them, you depart from me. I never knew you. You're listening to the Holy Joys Podcast, co-hosted by Jonathan Arnold and Dr. David Fry. Visit us at holyjoys.org and stay tuned for weekly discussions of theology and ministry practice, all for a holy, happy church. Welcome, Travis Johnson. You recently wrote an article for Holy Joys uh, reflecting on uh, Ravi Zacharias and uh, events in his life over the last many years. And so it's great to have you join us on this segment. And in this segment, we want to uh, spend just a few minutes on our responses to the news on Ravi Zacharias. Let's start with you. Just what was your, what was your gut reaction when you heard the news about Ravi Zacharias? Well, I felt like I was punched in the gut. I think that would be... Honestly, it's how I felt. Um, so for me, I don't know of a more high-profile celebrity-type pastor leader uh, in, in my lifetime that, that has had this type of a fall. And so for me, it was just absolute, utter shock. I was just shocked. And then as the even more details have come out since then, just even more shock. I just, I just can't. It's almost unbelief that um, something this horrible went on for so long and was hidden. And it's just obvious, it seems now that this man lived a double life. So yeah, just shock, absolute shock. My second thought is, what, what do I do with his books? What do I do with his ministry? How do I, how do I reconcile everything that he has, he has personally taught me in podcasts and YouTube videos and books and illustrations over the years, how, how do I reconcile that, you know, so that, that, that was a huge struggle for, for, you know, for the first few days. And then even beyond that, as I began to reflect on other ministers that had fallen, that, and that's kind of where the article came from, as I looked at the bookshelf in front of me and behind me and counted, you know, 20 some books written by different authors that had had different types of fall, whether it be sexual, mm-hmm. a sexual moral fall or uh, issues with finances or even p- power issues. Um, what do we do with their resources? So that's kind of where the article, uh, that's kind of what what stimulated me writing that article. Yeah, yeah so that's certainly a big question. Maybe we'll come back around to that. Uh, what what to do with, uh, with his life's work. Uh, Jonathan, what was your gut reaction? I don't remember the first thought that I had. I, I remember flurry of thoughts. Um, one of the things was that I had taken a group of young people and young disciples uh, to hear him uh, only a year or two ago, uh, about an hour from our church, and he hasn't had a you know a big impact on my you know on my theological development. But early on, I think before I even started regularly attending church, I listened to some of his CDs. So yeah, it was definitely a shock. Um, another thing I thought of was was oddly enough was Billy Graham. I just thought uh, the Billy Graham rule. I've heard you know so much criticism of it. I think there's a general um, you know reckoning with some of the the abuses of purity culture. But I just thought, wow, how much I appreciate. 
um, men like Billy Graham, who, as far as we can tell, lived a life of integrity. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's important that we are you know, theologically robust and we're, we're defending the Christian faith from, f- with the best intellectual arguments we can produce. But if we don't have integrity and character, none of it matters. And I just, I thought about my own character, my own integrity, and just my desire to, you know, to be faithful and to, to finish well. Yeah, I I just visited the Billy Graham Library actually this uh, this week, mm. so that was a very real thing. I don't think I had thought about him or really any sort of uh, you know comparison of of lives and ministries and legacies now uh, until I had gone gone through that museum and then it started you know I started realizing whoa you know here here's uh, here's someone who seems to be very different from what we have found out about Ravi. So my, I think I had two reactions almost right away. Uh, my, my first reaction when I read that 12-page report was, uh, was empathy for the family. I, it's just mm-hmm. imagining, or not, I, I can't imagine, but trying to imagine what they are left with, the broken pieces that they are left with now. And, you know, kudos to RZIM for going back and, uh, and apologizing for not responding well in 2017, right? And uh, putting out this, what I felt like was a very um, humble and apologetic uh, statement uh, in a two or three page, you know, response to the report. Uh, so that was number one. The, the second thought was uh, really even more sobering, and that was that, uh, man, I just I I was hearing the voice of Matthew seven, uh, the voices of those who uh, who cry out, Lord, Lord, look at what I've done in your name, and He will say uh, to them, uh, "You know, depart from me, I never knew you." And my thought was that. You know, I I would never want to assume the role or try to assume the role of of saying that someone is or is not, you know, lost uh, eternally for certain. But uh, this is as close of an example that I can imagine of what what that looks like. And um, and again, I'm I'm I never I was not a close follower of Ravi. Uh, I did read uh, probably 15 years ago, read a couple of his books, but I, so I was not a close follower, but I, I did, I, I'm, I'm aware of his impact and very frequently would come across people who was like, Oh yeah, you know, Robbie Zacharias, you know, really enjoyed this, this lecture or this uh, YouTube video uh, by him. So I knew the impact was big. Uh, I really did. And, and I really, for me, I think part of my reaction too was the fact that the 2017, uh, you know, event where for those of you who may not know the background, so there was a a lady and I don't know all the details, but the lady who came forth with some improprieties, uh, phone conversation and and exchange of, of texts and, and pictures and so forth in 2017, that was denied. Uh, Ravi denied that RZIM didn't even follow up with an investigation. They trusted Ravi and said that there was no other evidence that this was true. And so that was, I wouldn't say it just blew over. I think it raised some doubts 
And so I think uh, the the other thing for me was there was a a, a little bit of uh, I'm not surprised, not because I doubted Ravi so much, but because there had already been kind of this lingering question out there. And so from 2017, and now it turns out it actually was true. Um, so uh, yeah, so there are so many dimensions about this to, to talk about. It has been talked about, right. On a lot of, a lot of podcasts and a lot of, uh, a lot of articles and blog posts. And it's something we could talk about, you know, for quite, quite some time. Yeah. Can I, can I just interject and and ask Travis? So like I've seen a few people and I think this is a really, uh, this is a really simplistic response. Like, well, the man is dead. Why, why do we want to just keep talking about this? And, and yeah, I do think, you know, there's been a, proliferation of, of writing and talking about this. And at some point we can just talk about it, talk about it. So maybe, um, could you comment Travis on how do we talk about it in a helpful way and why do we talk about it? Because we must not avoid it. We, we need to be serious about truth and exposing the truth as Christians. We can't be afraid. You know, one of the statements that swirled around is, is Robbie told one of the, one of the people he was abusing, you know, if you come forward about this, think of all the people that you are going to, you know, the souls that are going to be destroyed, you know? And so, um, why and how does the church talk about something like this? What are, you know, the things we want to avoid, but also the things that we want to do well? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, if, you know, I think sometimes we've been accused of airing dirty laundry. In fact, I had a phone call from a retired pastor who kind of chewed me out and said, why, why are we talking about, why do we have to talk about this? Why, why, why? And, and, uh, you know, I pressed him, have you read my article? Have you read the reports? He just refuses to read anything about it. Um, but I think we have to talk about this uh, for, for a number of reasons, but I think a couple come to mind. One, uh, just for the sake of transparency, um, we, we, have to, we have to talk about it. it. People are talking about it, so we might as well join the fray. We might as well uh, be a part of the conversation so that we could help people that are struggling because people are struggling with this. I don't know how many, how many messages, texts, emails I've received from the article uh, from people who are have just really struggled with this. He was high profile, and and for many people, um, they're 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 just they're caught in the wake of this. What do we do? What do we do? And so I think it's important for us to talk about it to be transparent. But secondly, I think I think within the church, there's, there's other victims of sexual abuse from other people. Um, they, they need to, they need to know we care. Yes. We need to be, we need to be their voice. Um, many of them are afraid to come forward and they need to know that it, it's safe. The, the church can be a safe place to come forward and, and, sh- and share what your experience is so that we, so that you can get the help that you need. And, and, and we want, we in the church, we want to be a part of that healing process. Yeah. I appreciate that emphasis on giving people a voice because there's often been things that I've written or published and I don't post a lot on social media, but when sometimes even on social media I've posted and my only real motivation is I have had people come to me who feel like they have no public voice, they have no public representation, even on things like, you know, related to, to some, some, 
uh, church and state issues or, you know, crazy stuff like the mask issues. When there's just a flurry of voices, people they respect saying things that they just, it just, it's hurtful. They need somebody to speak for them. And I think this is especially true for those people who are in the shadows that aren't just feeling disillusioned, but have genuinely been abused. And wow, if the, if somebody doesn't give them a, a voice of reason and of, of compassion and of gentleness, you know, who's going to do it? And I think that is something that as pastors, we, that's one way in which we shepherd uh, is by, by voicing some of these things. Yeah. yeah. And, and I appreciate the CT uh, Christianity today that they have uh, several times mentioned, you know, this is not just a circumstance of someone, you know, living an adulterous life. That's serious. That's big in itself. But this is also someone, this is also someone who has been victimizing others for years. Mm-hmm. And so that, there's another dimension to this. And it ought to be a reminder to, uh, to anyone, uh, to all of us that, uh, you know, sin is never just about you know, me and my private life, uh, it always affects relationships and always reflect, ref, affects other people. And uh, especially sins of this nature, uh, if left unchecked, will, will only harm more and more people. Uh, and as a church, we have to, to create a culture in which these things are uh, in which we are accountable as pastors, number one, as people who are in positions of authority. And we have to be checked on that and held accountable and also have a, a culture and an atmosphere where uh, if there is wrongdoing and lack of discretion, that that can be dealt with in a truthful and gracious way. Uh, Jonathan, you have been doing some research as well, and uh, you have come across some things I think are worth sharing. Uh, go ahead and get uh, get us started with uh, sharing some things, and then we'll get uh, some reactions here from from Travis. We'll each uh, react to to what you found. Yeah, so I, I've been reflecting on a really poignant post from Rachel Den Hollander, and, and she, uh, I believe, has been brought in by RZIM. She's a victim advocate, was was a victim herself um, of abuse, and this is something she said. And I wonder how do we think through this? For every leader who has written a blog post, tweeted, commented on the steps being taken by RZIM, how good they are, how important the truth is, or how to prevent this, please hear the grief you are compounding. You have written about how God, how good and right these steps are. I think that's a mistake in her post. How good and right these steps are, but not until they were already taken, not until the facade was removed. You did not lift your voice to cry for the truth you now applaud. That fell on the shoulders of the victims, the women. You applaud the independent investigation, but never press for it when it needed to be done. When your voice was desperately needed in 2017 and all the years that followed, you were silent. You left the victims alone. You're silent. Violence, a deafening testament that you did not care. And he goes on, she goes on and on here, very similar lines. So here's the thing I'm wrestling with this because uh, I did not know about the 2017 incident, but I do feel some guilt because I did have somebody come to me uh, when um, 
when somebody referenced Ravi in the past and, and uh, said, they said to me, you know, here's some stuff I've come across. I really don't trust Ravi. I, I, I think, you know, these accusations were true. And I, I did, I didn't take it very seriously. I, so I'm struggling with how much responsibility do we have to be our brother's keeper in this matter? Cause on the one hand, I can't be responsible for every Christian in the church and I can't, just jump on any news piece that comes. And I can't even keep up with all of this. So to what degree am, are we responsible? How do we work through that? What do you think of Rachel's thoughts there? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and And looking back, the ministry, his denomination, he was a part of, Robbie's that is, everyone could have done a better job of taking serious uh, some some past allegations. Um, so I, I think she has a point. She makes a good point. But, um, you know, for me personally, um, you know, when the allegations came out in 17, and I remember that. I remember reading a little bit about it. But I, I heard that there was a payout or some payment made to. And so I'm thinking, oh, OK, it's extortion. Somebody wants money because in my mind, I'm still thinking Robbie's above this. You know, there's no way this is this is Robbie Zacharias, you know. Um, so in my mind, I'm thinking there's no way this is this is happening. Looking back now, uh, you know, I wish now I would have maybe looked into it more deeply. Um, but really, I think the fault. The fault lies really with his ministry organization and certainly with his denomination, who my understanding of the denomination didn't even do any investigation at all in 17. Right. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they apologized for that. That was part of their their more recent apology, for sure. So I think that the point, is that Rachel? Uh, Dan Hollander, yeah, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think she she makes a great point. I would... I mean, that's a that's pretty straight talk to the church. Yeah, but, it is. It is. Um, it's hard to take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I would also say, though, um, does she acknowledge that you know, there is maybe not prevailing, but there is a growing uh, sensitivity to these things? You know, the, the We Too yeah. movement yeah. really, really raised a lot of awareness and it really begins with awareness and church too, right? There was a church too, then that came followed oh, yes. that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so there is, and, and I have as a pastor, even in recent days have had a couple of, of examples of this uh, where, you know, my wife and I met with a couple of different people who uh, shared some things and I would have to say that, you know, my reaction then it was probably, you know, now is probably different than my reaction would have been even five years ago. Um, because, you know, probably in the past, I would have said, okay, I need some, I need some facts. I need some hard evidence, you know, to, to prove that what you're saying, you know, you're, this is a serious accusation. Now I, I want to say, okay, I want to, I want to hear, I need to listen. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, take this. Seriously, and yes, assume that you're telling me the truth. Yes, we still need facts. Yes, we still need some investigation to to sort out how to proceed from here. Um, but uh, yeah, I think awareness is so important. Uh, we, we have to be aware, and when something comes to our attention, it doesn't matter how impeccable a person may seem to be. 
we've got to we've got to pay attention to it. Yeah, and I and and this goes back to something we've talked about previously. This is the reason we need to talk about it because we learn from our mistakes. Yeah, we we and so for me, um, ministries not just not just Robbie's ministry, what, whatever shape that's going to take in the future. But I think other ministries, parachurch organizations, churches, they're going to look at this and they're going to say, okay, what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen and ever happen in our organization? And so churches will be learning from this, hopefully implementing changes that will strengthen their ministries. Yeah. Yeah. So what can a pastor take away from this? Because ultimately the reason this is worth discussing is because it, it, it gets close to home. It really hits home, close to home to, to many of our people, right? Uh, it, many people had you know, felt that punch in the gut when this report came out, as Travis, as you mentioned last time. Um, but what does it, how does it change us? How does it change our church culture um, now? Any ideas on that? I'd, I'd like Travis to respond, but I'd like to just tag on to that. Also, is this something pastors should talk to their churches about? I think it's a very good idea when such a high-profile figure, something like this happens, to make a statement yeah. from the pulpit. And I've heard pastors said, oh, this is the kind of thing I'd talk to people about privately. I wouldn't want to say anything from the pulpit. I think that's mm-hmm. a wrong impulse. I think that's a mistake. Yeah, but I, yeah. So I'd like Travis's thoughts on that. No, that, that's, that's, a good, that's a good thought. I, I have not shared this publicly with my congregation yet. I, I have shared my article with them. And many of them have read it, but uh, I, I really wanted to wait till the full report came out, which now it's out, and so now would be a good time to talk about it. But yeah, because because our our people need to hear from us uh, that we care deeply about these issues, that we as leaders we want to we want to live, you know, lives of of holiness and purity, and they need to hear from us that. Hey, we need your help. I need your help in this area. And, you know, accountability, transparency, but also, you know, if there's victims of any kind of abuse um, in the congregation, they need to hear our voice that we care for them and we love them and that we will always stand with victims. Yeah. yeah. So there may, it may be a good idea for a church to have, a, a policy for how things are followed up. So if there's a report of some, some abuse or wrongdoing or, or um, a- anything inappropriate, uh, there's, there should be a procedure that a church can adopt on how to follow up with that. Because I think that's where things get lost, right? It's one thing to, to be aware, but then it's another thing then suddenly a pastor or, or a leader is faced with, what do I do with this information? And I, I think that needs to be considered as well. And I know we have as a school, the school that I administrate, we're, we're required by law to have policy and procedure on how to follow up with reported abuse and, and bullying and different, uh, different offenses. And, and we have that. And not only are we, are we required to have it, but we are also required to review it every year with all the staff. And and we do. And uh, I think that's, this has made me more aware that we probably ought to have that for the church as well. Thank you for listening to the Holy Joys podcast. Email your questions to podcast at holyjoys.org and they may be featured on a future episode. 
Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. Please pray about partnering with us at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.